This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. Today, I want to talk to you about moderation. It is a topic that is so talked about. I mean, it is probably the default where we want to stop drinking, we want to do something about our drinking, we are starting to question our drinking, and the first thing we start to ask is, can I moderate? Can I drink less? What does that look like? And so the information that I want to share with you today is invaluable. I mean, I literally was in the moderation limbo for years. I would actively try and drink less. I'd find myself drinking more. And all this self-loathing and disgust and everything came with it. But that a lot of that started after I decided to try to moderate. And that's what's really interesting, right? It was when I tried to control alcohol and couldn't easily do it that the real misery with drinking actually began. So I talk all the time about this concept of cognitive dissonance or inner conflict. And we're averse to conflict as humans. Like just witnessing us will make us sick to our stomach. Even worse if we fight with our families. But the worst kind of conflict, it's with ourselves. It's this inner conflict. And that comes from both wanting to do more of something and less of something at the same time. And it's incredibly painful. And it's this stress that can quickly take over everything in our lives and make us miserable. And the irony is that that specific pain comes directly from trying to moderate. And the truth is we didn't actually feel that internal conflict or turmoil before we started to put limits on our drinking. We just drank what we want when we wanted to. And sure, we had hangovers, probably not as much energy as we could have had, but we certainly didn't walk around regretting everything we did and say, and we didn't have this pain of wanting to change and not being able to change. This pain of wanting something like a drink and hating a different aspect of that same something, like how much of a hold a drink now had over us. And we all know this, but what do we do as drinkers when we try to relieve stress? That's right, we try, <laughs> we drink, because drink is our default. We've been told for all our lives that drinking relieves stress. We believe it because of our own experiences. So you can start to see this crazy cycle we're caught in when we try to moderate our drinking and we find it hard and sometimes impossible to do. So I think the first place to start like with this conversation is why exactly do we want to moderate? I mean, what are we looking for? And I think there's two reasons. First, we think that alcohol makes us feel a certain way. And we do everything in our lives. The reality and the crux of what we do at the bottom of it is to feel differently, is to feel a certain way, right? And we think alcohol is going to make things more engaging, us happier, funnier, you know the gamut. We believe that these things are true. And we believe them emotionally, not just with our minds. We feel that they're true. And when you feel that something's true, the reality is that there's no amount of logic that can overcome that. We also drink. The second reason is because we think it provides benefits. So we see logically that alcohol is starting to have a price in our life, and in some cases quite a hefty price. Our health, our happiness, our self-respect, and even our jobs, our marriages, our families. So logically, we think we should be able to drink less. We don't want to think about stopping, and when we start to count the cost of regular drinking. So it goes right back to our beliefs. We believe that alcohol provides a benefit. We think it might be the only way to relax after a long day of work or the only way to connect intimately with our you know, spouse. We might think it's the only way to have fun. And I can relate to this. And I mean, I remember being the designated driver and I would be generally miserable and writing the night off as pretty boring if I wasn't allowing myself to drink. 
So we don't want to get rid of alcohol together. We just want to find that perfect balance where we're still getting the benefits, yet the cost of drinking goes way down because the truth is the cost has been higher than we want it to be and higher than we feel like we can handle. And the kicker is we remember a time when the cost of alcohol was not very big. We remember a time when there was little to no cost of drinking. There, we could stop when we wanted. We didn't have the effects. It's not happening in our lives. And since society paints this black or white picture of two types of drinkers, people who are either in control of their drinking or those who are bad, irresponsible, immoral, who can't control it, we then believe there's something wrong with us. And we feel like we're crossing that invisible line, an ill-defined line from in control to out of control. So we feel ashamed, we feel frustrated, and that, of course, adds to the inner pain and the stress. And guess what we do again when we're stressed? You got it. We turn to our friend in the bottle to numb that pain away. So I want to ask you today, what if we're asking the wrong questions? What if the whole idea that human beings should be able to drink an addictive substance in moderation while maintaining their health without getting addicted is total BS? And what if this BS is perpetuated by the very industry that richly profits from alcohol? And what if the claims that we now believe to be true, that it relaxes us, that it makes life fun, that it's key to social life, that we needed to fit in, what if these are also not true? And if you're not there with me yet, I get it. So let's suspend belief for a minute. And I know you're probably skeptical because these things that we believe about alcohol, they feel incredibly real. When I, I was willing to just bet, you know, everything on the fact that alcohol relaxed me. And you might even say, like, Annie, I'm having a drink right now, and it's, it's making me feel better than I did before. But hear me out. That drink is making you feel better, but there's specific chemical reasons in the brain, reasons that I'm going to talk about. And what if I told you that that drink makes you feel better, but it wouldn't make you feel as good as it? you used to before you drink it regularly. And in fact, some of that feeling better is simply because you're re fulfilling something that that drink, that a little bit of a low that that drink actually created. Now, I know this is hard to believe. And if I was uh, listening to this podcast and I you know, was brand new to kind of um, my teaching, I would be really tempted to think, okay, this is just BS. But I just want you to bear with me for a second and listen to this because this is true. And I know you're saying, well, my experience tells me differently and you trust your own experience. But do me a favor. You might think I'm crazy, but stick with me because I'm going to show you today how these things might be true. And obviously, you know, this is just a podcast, so I can't change your entire worldview in an hour, but I can open up enough of a question that you might be willing to say, oh, there is a different way to look at this. So let's say I'm right. Let's say alcohol provides no benefit and it just methodically steals your help and happiness. If that was actually true, if what I was saying was true, let me ask you a question. Would you want to moderate? Now, I'm not going to tell you that moderation is wrong or that nobody can successfully do it. Now, neither of these things are true. In fact, I believe if you want to moderate, you know, going through an, an a shift with this naked mind and my program and everything that I do is probably the best path to successfully moderating. And I say that because there's so many hundreds of people who have actually gone through my programs and been able to drink on occasion. I get letters from them all the time. And it's really interesting because I actually get thousands of letters from people who wanted to moderate, but having gone through my programs had the opposite experience because they now feel they could moderate, but they no longer want to. And that's really important because their feelings and their beliefs and their logic around alcohol have actually changed. So it's back to that question. If you didn't see that it provided a benefit to you, if I was able to show you that, you know, actually life is better without it, why would you still want to do it? And I think that's really interesting. 
But I want to look at this one other reason that we might want to moderate, right? And that's because we think that life without alcohol looks miserable. And that is just perpetuated again by our society. But often we have this perception that is not true, that life without drinking is going to be boring and not fun, and we're going to live this life of, of, of missing out. So we want to moderate for these reasons. Emotionally, we think it provides a benefit. And again, everything we do is to feel a certain way. And secondly, we think that sobriety looks pretty dang boring. So I want to dive into something that I put together, and it's basically the six reasons, the six things that science says about moderation, okay? So first thing, moderation means you're always making decisions. And I know you've probably had this feeling that you just can't make another decision. Sometimes my husband, he's like, all right, what's for dinner? And I look at him with like blank stare, like I'm a crazy person because I was like, I, I can't even, I, can't, I have no idea, but we have dinner every night, but for some reason, there's no possible way I can think of something that's a good idea for dinner. But the truth is my brain can't handle that question sometimes. And here's why, because studies show that no matter how big the decision or how small the decision, decisions take about the same amount of brain power. Now, I find that fascinating. What this means is that the decision about what to do, you know, for the entire summer vacation taxes your brain about the same amount as the decision of what to wear in the morning. And there's a scientific term for how if you make enough decisions, you just can't make one more. And that term is called decision fatigue. And what that means is that decisions create mental fatigue and deplete willpower. And according to the newest science on willpower, willpower is a finite resource, meaning that much like a muscle, it can be exhausted. It can run out. So your brain is making decisions constantly about moderation, when to drink, how much to drink, if I should drink, uh, when is enough, like (laughs) so many decisions every single day and your brain gets fatigued. And then what happens according to the science is that you end up doing one of two things. You make a rash decision and you do something without thinking it through. And this is kind of the what the hell effect. That's an actual scientific effect. We say, forget it. I'm just go like, whatever. You just don't even think about it and you just have that drink in your hand and all of a sudden it's halfway gone because you're like, F it, like, I, I can't do this anymore. And that is willpower running out, decision fatigue kicking in, and boom, you're back to where you started. Or you just avoid the act of deciding altogether, which isn't as relevant um, for, for moderation, but is worth knowing. So by definition, moderation is constant decision making. And I think that's point number one. Point number two that I want to make is tolerance. So in my drinking days, I worked really hard for my tolerance. (laughs) I literally thought it was a badge of honor. I remember at the end of my drinking days, I could drink more than a bottle of wine and not even feel it. I remember we would brag about our tolerance and pride ourselves on being the one who could stay out the latest, drink the most, wake up the earliest. And this is literally insane considering what I now know about tolerance. And I have a really good friend. She's a preschool teacher. And as soon as my children were in preschool for the first time, they were pretty much sick, like constantly for almost a year. And I remember asking Maggie, and I said, how is it that a preschool teacher is never sick when there's so many germs in preschool? And she told me it was because she'd become immune to all the common illnesses. Her body had become incredibly efficient at fighting off those germs. And so the body realized, okay, I have no choice but to be exposed to all these germs. So it did everything it could to build an incredible immunity. And I want to look at that in terms of tolerance. So if you actually go to the definition of tolerance, it is the ability or willingness to tolerate something, in particular, the existence of 
opinions or behavior that one does not necessarily agree with. And then if you look at the medical definition of tolerance, it is the power of enduring or resisting the action of a drug or poison. So we don't think about it, but tolerance is our body's way of purging alcohol from our system as quickly as possible so that it does minimal damage. Tolerance is an immunity that the body creates. The more tolerant we become, the less we actually feel the alcohol we drink, the less hungover we get. You know, you can get to a point where you're not even feeling your hangovers as much. And in this regard, um, tolerance is literally the way that our body is keeping us alive. And the body has a singular focus to keep us alive. So it does this by maintaining balance inside of us, and drinking throws off the balance that the body maintains. So the body does everything it can to regain that balance. So we drink more over time to feel the same amount. And that increasing means that it's totally at odds with moderation because eventually the two glasses that you're sticking to won't have any effect whatsoever because of tolerance. So what is even the point? And again, your tolerance is your body and mind protecting itself by negating the negative effects of alcohol. And alcohol, by its very nature, causes you to need more of it to feel the same level of intoxication. Again, at odds with moderation. It just makes moderation really difficult at a chemical level. So point number three I want to make about moderation is alcohol affects your brain's ability to make good decisions. So I'd give myself, you know, simple, easy to achieve rule, like two glasses of wine a night. And then the next morning came and I'd wake up and I would not be able to remember how much I drank. But I knew it was far too much and I was miserable. I felt stupid. I was beating myself up. I was convinced I had no self-control and I was just weak. And the truth is that every single drink actually changes your state of mind. So the next drink does not sound like such a bad idea. And this is because even a single drink impairs your decision-making abilities by harming your prefrontal cortex. This is the part of your brain that weighs consequences and makes good decisions. And the prefrontal cortex regulates the more primal animal parts of the brain and allows you self-control. And drinking takes this ability away. It deadens your brain's reasoning power. It steals its ability to make sensible decisions. And the irony is that the very thing you're moderating actually, in this case, is stealing your ability to moderate, okay? So point number four is something that is so obvious, and we all know this, but we always overlook it, and it's the fact that alcohol is a diuretic. It makes you pee. It means your body is actually more dehydrated after you drink an alcoholic drink than before. And studies show that alcohol dehydrates you on such a cellular level that if you drink a beer, which is 90 to 95% water, um, and only you know a few percent alcohol, five maybe percent alcohol, that alcohol not only takes all the water from that beer, um, and it will also take all the water from your cells. So you are more thirsty after drinking something that's 95% water because of the alcohol than you were before. And the effect of being thirstier is, so you don't realize that it's the alcohol making you thirsty in the moment, but another drink is even more tempting. So it doesn't matter that you logically know that another drink won't quench your thirst, it seems like it will. So the drink you just had increases your thirst and increases in turn your craving for the next drink. So point number five that I want to make about moderation. Um, alcohol creates a thirst for, it, for itself by numbing your pleasure response. Now this is true for any addictive substance, okay? So substances are actually addictive because they artificially stimulate the pleasure circuit of your brain. And as soon as a substance begins to leave your system, your mood plunges further than it was before you started. 
Now I'm going to explain exactly why this is, but first you might be thinking, oh great, a way to stimulate the pleasure center of my brain at higher levels than anything has been able to before, and it might sound good on the surface, but here's why it's really so terrifying. When the brain's pleasure center is repeatedly overstimulated artificially by alcohol, it actually produces a counter chemical, and that is called dynorphin, and dynorphin turns down the stimulation. Putting this very simply, that means that over time, because dynorphin is being constantly released, you no longer enjoy drinking like you once did. Further, dynorphin doesn't discriminate and it decreases all types of pleasure in your brain. This means that everyday activities that used to make you happy, you can't really feel the joy of them anymore because of the constant presence of dynorphin in the brain. And the reason you come to believe alcohol is the only thing that makes you happy is because eventually this does become true. And with enough drinking, even the alcohol can't pull you out of the alcohol-induced funk it put you in in the first place. So according to neuroscientist Dr. Polk, he actually says that the drinker's body becomes used to the presence of alcohol in such a way that eventually the drinker will need alcohol just to feel normal. And at some point, no matter how much you drink, you'll be unable to feel anything but misery. That's Yet because of your brain's conditioned response to the drug, you will crave alcohol constantly. This means you're desperately wanting something you no longer even enjoy, which is totally terrifying. And... I wanted to then talk about reason number six. Alcohol changes your brain to where you want something, but you no longer like it. So alcohol increases cravings by releasing dopamine. And addictive drugs, again, from nicotine to heroin, release artificially high levels of dopamine in the brain. And scientists now know that dopamine is linked to learning, and learning includes feelings of wanting, expecting, and craving. So in addition to giving us some pleasure, dopamine actually teaches us how to get pleasure. It helps us learn the most effective ways to stimulate the brain's pleasure center. Dr. Sarah Gottfried says, quote, one of the key functions of the neurotransmitter dopamine is to create feelings of pleasure that our brain associate with necessary psychological actions like eating and procreating. We're driven to perform these vital functions because our brains are continued to expect the dopamine rush that accompanies them. Addictive drugs flood the brain with dopamine and condition us to expect artificially high levels of the neurotransmitter. And over time, the brain requires more dopamine than it can naturally produce, and it becomes dependent on the drug, which never actually satisfies the need it's created. And the plot thickens because although your first liking of the substance was actually in sync with wanting of the substance, in this case alcohol, over time, your brain responds in a way that wanting and liking become decoupled. They become separate. In fact, some addiction experts say that this is when addiction truly begins, that and that doesn't make sense to us because how can we possibly want something that we don't like? But I remember this so vividly in my own life. I had these strong cravings for alcohol when I knew it would make me miserable. When my tolerance was so high that I didn't even feel the effects. When it was so clear that alcohol was damaging my life, my relationships, my happiness, I still desperately craved and wanted alcohol even when I no longer liked or enjoyed it. Now, if you take a break from alcohol, this thankfully goes away, um, but moderating obviously perpetuates this. So those are really, I just wanted to cover these today, you know, and I have so much more information on this topic, but I wanted to cover this today because these reasons and this conversation about moderating can keep us stuck for years. But I said something at the beginning of this. I said, actually, I 
believe that um, there's some people that can moderate. And I want to explain this to you, all right? So we talked about these two types of drinkers. And often we feel there's something wrong with us because we aren't responsible enough or we lack the willpower to moderate or to stay in control. Just from the six reasons, I want you to understand that this is not your fault, not even a little bit, that moderation on a neurological physiological and psychological level, it just does not make sense. And unfortunately, in today's culture, there's so much pressure to drink responsibly. In fact, and you know this, that if you turn down a drink, you're looked at like you have two heads. It's ridiculous. But think about this for a second. And I always say this, but alcohol is the only drug on earth you actually have to justify not taking, which is crazy, right? Because our society's view on alcohol is literally insane. Alcohol kills twice as many people as all prescription and all illegal drugs combined, yet it's held up as this vital aspect of every part of life, from sporting events to dating to happy hour to baby showers to relaxing. And and yes, by the way, you did hear me right. Alcohol kills twice as many people as all illegal and prescription drugs combined. That includes the opiate crisis and does not include deaths from drunk driving, which, by the way, drunk driving deaths account for about a third of all traffic-related deaths. So this is scary stuff. But I want you to understand that understanding the impact of what it has happening inside your brain, that is the key to change. You know, my job is never going to be to tell you what to do, but just to present the facts, the science, and allow you to make your own informed decisions. But I want you to hear me that if you have tried to moderate and tried to drink less and been unable to, and in fact it's made you drink more, it is not your fault. The truth is you're just a human being with blood and flesh and bone and brains, and this is how human organisms react to alcohol, period. And by the way, there's been numerous studies done on other animals on things like developing dependence and addiction and alcohol creating a thirst for itself and in the body and it turning uh, you know the body turning on an immunity to the poison or tolerance and this is not exclusive to humans this is what happens when you're made up of cells and blood and flesh so i'm sure you're saying okay annie i can see why the cards are stacked against successful moderation, but you say that you see people going back to drinking at moderate levels where alcohol is no longer a problem. So let's get into that. Let me explain that. But first, I want to address one other concern and question you might have, because you're probably also wondering about all the people who you know who could still take it or leave it, who don't actually seem affected. And this is a great question, and there are reasons that are just as solid as what I've already told you, uh, which explain it. I mean, there's so many reasons about, you know, different, so many reasons. But the truth is, I don't have time to get into that today. And no matter who you are or how controlled you think you are, no matter if you're a human being and you drink regularly, tolerance only goes one way. The body only reacts to alcohol the only way it knows how, by creating processes to minimize the effect of alcohol and to get it out of the body as quickly as possible. And this is true for all humans. So again, there's so much more to why some people seem like they can take it or leave it. It's where they are on the spectrum. It's how much they're drinking. It's the length of time they've been drinking. It's their mentality around alcohol. But again, that's an entirely new and different topic. So today, let's just focus on drinkers who've decided they want to make a change, who've decided they want to moderate, and why, with this naked mind and all my work, some people go through my program and go on to drink on occasion, while others don't. 
So what I actually wanted to do for this podcast is take, um, actually pull some people out of my community. So I hopped into Facebook to pull people who are in my programs and see if we can find a pattern of why this is. And this is going to be so obvious when you see it. And I truly believe that it's the key to successful moderation. But it even took me some time to see it. So I pulled these from the last few days in my groups. Um, one of them just from this morning. So, okay, here's, here's somebody who has gone on to drink on occasion. She says, last night we went out to the casino and then to see a band, and I tried to experiment with alcohol my choice. I ordered one beer, and it tasted nice but didn't do much. Then I ordered another, and I drank it, and I, I stopped. So I had two drinks. However, I don't think it really enhanced my night in any way. I ended up meeting the singer later and having a photo taken with him. I think if I was drunk, I would have said something stupid and looked like shit in the photo, but I didn't. Turns out the singer is on day 10, and she's tried four times and keeps getting to day nine and then giving in. So this is really interesting, and I want to make two points here. First, the woman who's been through my work drank but didn't even feel it enhanced her life. The singer who's not been through my work has had four times to get to day 10. My best guess on this is after watching thousands of people go through the process that she's using willpower and willpower runs out. It's what we talked about earlier today. And when do you need willpower? When you have either a conscious or unconscious desire for alcohol. And I would bet her desire at this point is wholly unconscious because she's consciously trying to go alcohol free. So here's another example. It's day 34. I've been playing around with social drinking and I feel ambivalent. Three times this week I had one drink and I didn't desire any more. So maybe you're starting to see our pattern. So now let's hear from people on the other side of the outcome. They go through the snake in mind, and they just don't want to drink anymore. I got this one this morning. It says, Annie, I want to personally thank you. Approaching one year sober in nine days, not a single relapse. I can drink if I want. I just choose not to. <laughs> that's awesome. And you remember, um, like, that's how I feel in my life. I don't even call myself sober. I feel like I could have a drink, but I just don't want to drink. And uh, quite honestly, it's one of the best feelings in the entire world. And this other one, she says, I'm 94 days AF. It's alcohol-free. Woohoo! Yay, me. I want to thank Annie Grace for when I, where I am today. Originally, I had no intention of becoming AF, but with the naked mind, I've learned to really despise this liquid, and I never have let it touch. I will never let it touch my lips again. And here's one more. Um, Kate says, it was unfathomable for me to consider moderating my alcohol intake that had been a daily habit for the last 28 years. Unfathomable that is until Annie Grace. In one week, I went from entrenched regular drinker to a fully happy alcohol-free bypassing the moderation route entirely. I am so grateful to Annie Grace for her frank, compelling, scientifically sound expose on the insidious nature of alcohol. If you're considering freeing the hold that alcohol has over you, this naked mind is inspiring and groundbreaking. I am forever changed and inspired. That's, that's just awesome. So the question becomes, why the two different outcomes? So I have a few things that I believe, and while there's certainly always exceptions to this, and everybody's path is different, I believe these are mostly true for most people. First, if you're trying to moderate, you're generally at a stage where drinking has become problematic, where alcohol has its hooks in you, both physically and even more importantly, psychologically. I see people all the time, myself included, who aren't physically dependent, but who are psychologically addicted. This means our thinking has changed and our neural patterns around habitual drinking have literally been reinforced to the stage where if we decide not to drink for some reason or another, we feel miserable and deprived because we believe so firmly that alcohol provides a benefit. But we don't see this even when alcohol is causing a problem. So we decide to start to moderate. What we don't realize is that depriving ourselves of the very thing we rely on 
and we believe is causing a benefit creates this huge amount of stress and inner conflict, the stuff we talked about at the beginning of this episode. So point number one, if you're trying to moderate without the right tools, without giving your body a decent break from alcohol in order to rebalance itself and eradicate any aspect of physical addiction, chances are moderation is not going to come easy because you are already further, far enough down the path where there's more work that needs to be done. So what does this mean? I believe that this means that freedom means changing this entire conversation. It means moving from a mindset that says, how can I moderate, to one that says, wait, so much has shifted inside of me that why would I even want to? And that's where true freedom is. And the irony is that when you change your mindset and take a break from alcohol to arrest these patterns that occur inside the brain and body, it's at that point when you might actually be able to moderate. Here's why. Because you move from desperation or addiction to side as attempted moderation to a true take-it-or-leave-it mentality. And then the mentality of I didn't even want it that you have seen you know, in these people who have gone through the program. So to put it more plainly, the best way to moderate once you've reached the point in your relationship when you actually are trying to moderate is to undo your unconscious conditioning around alcohol so that you no longer desire alcohol. And that is what this naked mind does. And again, the irony is that your best chance at moderation is to be in a place where moderation is no longer important or a key goal in your life. And this is true over and over and over again. And I could tell you hundreds of stories of people who always drink on occasion, thousands of people who have just bypassed moderation completely. They feel like they could drink if they want to, and they just choose not to. So how exactly does this change happen? Um, in, in my program, The Snaked Mind, and everything that I do, we literally go through every single belief we have around alcohol, and then we speak directly to your unconscious mind through a whole series of, of different techniques, and we undo the conditioning, we undo the, the beliefs, so that you come out of it without any irrational or illogical cravings. It's literally been kind of described like a magic trick. So that's how, that's moderation in a nutshell. That is my beliefs about moderation. I wanted to make one announcement, which I almost never do on this podcast, but I have something really exciting. So I think it's worth uh, switching from, um, you know, just purely information giving to telling you about something that I'm offering, which again is very rare for me, but it is worth it because it is the first time that I've ever had a chance to do this. I've wanted to do a live course and take people through live through my program for years now, but things keep coming up. I had a baby last year, um, all sorts of things. But now for the first time, I'm in a place where I can take a group of people live through my work. So what I've done is I've combined all of my work Everything that I've done with this naked mind, everything that I've done with the alcohol experiment, and I've put it together in a nine-week program that is called This Naked Mind Intensive. Um, it's going to be phenomenal. It is already 75% full. It is actually closing on April 30th, so just a few days, and we are going to start and kick off on May 1st. So if this is interesting to you at all, you need to act today. Go to thisnakedmind.com. And you can find information about how to join and sign up. And I'm super excited about this. It's going to be incredible. There's going to be live group coaching. Um, tons and tons of all my products that I've ever done are going to be packaged in this one intensive so that you could get everything you ever wanted or needed. It is the only time this year that I'm going to open the doors to something like this. And all the details are at thisnakedmind.com. So if you are considering this and you want to join and you want to know how to get into this space of really undoing your beliefs, and we have a lot of people actually asking the question, like, I'm already alcohol-free, should I join? I would say that if there is something that you feel 
that is still holding you back. If you still have one belief that hasn't quite toppled, one reason that you still desire or want alcohol, if you just don't feel um, entirely comfortable with your decision at this stage, then I, I think it would be worth joining. I think that I have this ability when I'm working with people kind of on a more one-on-one basis to really narrow into, okay, what is that belief and what are the specific things that we can do to knock that over? It's something that with all the work that is written for the majority of people, you can't get into that much detail. So if you think, but it just, I really just like the escape or I really just like the tipsy feeling, you know, whatever that belief is, if, if you're stuck on that, and although you're alcohol-free, it's having you live in this place where you're still feeling deprived or like you're missing out, I would say yes, join, um, because I think I can help. If you are alcohol-free and you're just excited and pumped, which is a huge majority of people that go through my program, it's one and done, it's amazing, you're just, ah, the clouds like have, have gone away, the sun has come out, and you're just happy, um, then no, I, I would not say, you know, sign up for this. I think that... Um, just go on and and live your life. And I'm so thrilled. So anyway, I just really wanted to talk today specifically about moderation because it's the number one thing I get asked about. It comes up all the time and just give you all of this information. And of course, like I said, I almost never offer anything on this podcast, but is special opportunity. The only time I've ever done uh, taking people through my work live and in in, uh, an actual group where we get to interact and So if you're interested in that at all, it's closing Monday, May 30th. There's just a few days left, but I'd love to have you. I hope you have a wonderful day. Full day. This has been Annie Grace with This Naked Mind Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can learn more at thisnakedmind.com. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe as it really helps us spread the word.